Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. So as Graham mentioned, this um, series we've been doing all month is all about sex. (laughs) And uh, I I honestly did not think I would ever be up here talking about sex, but here I am. So when the series was first, when we first um, talked about who was going to teach what and whatever, I didn't have a title for my series, and a couple of, um, somebody had put in titles, and I looked at it uh, as it was coming up, and it said, paying for sex. And at first I thought, that's what I was going to be preaching on. I was like... (laughs) what am I going to talk about there? So Cameron and I talked about what it is I wanted to share, and um, we came up with the cost of sex instead. So what I have for you today is a couple of things, except I can't find the clicker. The clicker is not here. Anybody? You want to just, okay, that works. Okay, so first of all, sex is good. It is a good thing. God created it. So I'm going to talk about you know, that first. Um, in, and God instituted it. He instituted it in Genesis one twenty eight. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. The only way to do that is through sex. Okay, so God set it up that we would have sex. I can't believe I'm saying this so much. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, and we are to enjoy it. In Proverbs 5.19, it says, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. In another translation, it says, May you always be captivated by her love. And in yet another one, it says, be thou ravished always with her love. Those all sound like good things, right? That sounds like really good stuff. And and then in the Song of Solomon, if you read the Song of Solomon, it is an entire um, poem celebrating married life. And I was reading a commentary about it because, um, just to glean some more information, and uh, what I... What I had not realized was the entire Bible, every book of the Bible, talks about God, talks about Jesus in some way. You know, it talks about how much he loves us or what he wants us to do, except for two. Um, The book of Esther doesn't really lay it out um, explicitly. I mean, it's it's implicit. Anyway, you get the meaning. It's there. You've got to read between the lines. But in Song of Solomon, in Song of Solomon is this poem, this love story about Um, this married couple, and the commentary I was reading said, this book, why, why would God put this book in the Bible? And it says, this book provides an explanation of how God created male and female to live in happiness and fulfillment. God wants us to have happiness and fulfillment, and so he created this for us, and we are sexual beings. God ordained marriage in Genesis 2.25, and when he said, when man and woman become one flesh. So when you get married, you are, you are one. So what are the benefits of being married? Well, there's plenty. If I can turn my page. 
There we go. So one is that um, we, in a marriage, you find honor for one another, and then you receive honor for one another. And the other thing that you benefit from if you um, are sexually pure when you get married is an innocence. Now, I've, been, I've attended a lot of weddings, and um, I have not experienced this. My background um, was such that I, um, I had sex before I got married. And so uh, I had not experienced um, what I'm going to talk about. But I did, and I have attended lots of weddings. But one wedding I attended, I actually knew the couple. I knew both the bride and the groom, and I knew that both of them had never had sex. And, um, and I, as I went to the wedding, I saw them taking their vows, and I realized that there was an innocence there that I have never experienced. And, um, and, I, and I, as I watched them get married, I just, I, I felt, <laughs> I remember feeling a little bit like um, I shouldn't be seeing this. Like, because it was so innocent, and it was so sweet, and it was so intimate that these two were going to be married. And, and there was, it just spoke to my heart, and I, and I was really struck by it. But what was more amazing is that as the weeks followed, I saw that they still had an innocence about them, that they could be married and have sex and still be innocent because they hadn't been exposed to shame. You know, when you have um, Adam and Eve, when they ate of the tree, they gained knowledge that God did not intend for them. They lost some innocence. And that is the same thing that happens when you have sex outside of marriage. You lose something. You don't have that innocence. And so you can still be married and have knowledge about sex, but maintain an innocence. And that's amazing. Um, and, and a marriage and sex within a marriage provides a blessing from God. In Proverbs 20, 6 through 7, it says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. So when you're in right relationship with God, you pass on a blessing to your children, and that's cool. Um, in marriage, we have a unity. And so when you become one flesh, there's also a responsibility to take care of your body, which is actually your spouse's body. And um, God actually tells us to please our spouses. It's your responsibility to fulfill their desires. <coughs> In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. Oh, I had all the verses up there. They're not up there now. Okay. Sorry, Beth. Um, it's um, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
So he's really encouraging us to take care of our spouses. And if we are to abstain for a certain time, that we don't want to allow that to go on too long because that's when Satan comes in and tries to trip us up. And so it's really a command for, you know, I'm to take care of my husband and he's to take care of me. God likes sex. That's a good thing in marriage. But when it's not done God's way, can you guys click the, thank you. Really, I had it here a little while ago. I don't understand where it went. Um, So what does the Bible, so I want to talk now when you have sex outside of marriage. And, and, and what we're going to talk about first is what the Bible has to say about that, and then I want to talk about what psychologists have to say about that. So the Bible is very clear about having sex outside of marriage, and that is in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And I read a commentary by um, this guy named DeMuth who said, we prove that our true allegiance is to ourselves. Our desires are not to Christ and his kingdom. So when you have sex outside of marriage, you're just trying to take care of yourself. You're not thinking about God. And he's not first in your life. And um, I also read another article about, um, it was about the woman who was caught in adultery. But what... (laughs) What's interesting is they were saying there's an interesting phenomenon in churches where people understand that God forgives sin, so I can go ahead and sin today because tomorrow he can forgive me. And um, although that's true, he does forgive you, but it's almost like taking the gift of grace and stomping on it. It's like a gift that you get, and you just kind of trash it. And so he gives us this free gift, and we make it meaningless when we don't follow what he's asked us to do. Um, and then in Ephesians 5.3, it says, But among you there must, be, must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So we have a, a, an actual command. We understand that God is not about sex outside of marriage. He wants us to enjoy it within the confines of the marriage. But we know that we live in a world where a lot of people aren't following God. So um, is God's law mean anything to them? You know, does it have any effect? If you don't know that that's what God says and you're not following him anyway, does it matter? Well, what's interesting is psychologists, honestly, guys, I put it right here. I, <laughs> I did. I put it right here. Um, okay. Sorry. <laughs> They're looking for the clicker, but honestly, it was right here. So um, Ephesians 5 says, or no, sorry, psychology. That's where I was. Psychologists, um, so I, I, there was a bunch of studies that were done by psychologists, Christian and non-Christian, who talked about what happens when people have casual sex. What happens when you have sex and you're not married and you hook up with people or, or you have, you know, one night stands or whatever it is. And what's interesting is science says that sex has an effect on your brain and it can give wholeness or it can damage. 
it makes lasting changes actually to your brain. Sex does. And um, we've, I don't know how many of you have heard before, but a lot of people will say, or you know, they've said that the brain is the largest sex organ that you have because it's, it, it can help, you know, it, it just aids in sex. Well, what, what uh, one study found, and they did MRI brain research, okay, so they looked at the brain under MRI imaging, and they found that when you have an orgasm, three chemicals are released. Well, there's three chemicals released in men and women. Um, so now when, and the first one that they talked about was dopamine. And dopamine is um, released in your brain when you do something like, um, they talked about, you know, like a runner's high. Never actually experienced that, but people <laughs> who run <laughs> have this release of dopamine and you you feel good and you keep running that would be great um but i hear that it only happens after like seven eight ten miles or something crazy so um maybe that's not true but i anyway um but drugs also cause dopamine to be released and what's interesting is like say it's heroin it affects this part of your brain this is the research I found, so if it's wrong, you know. But anyway, it releases this part of the brain. But like heroin, or did I say heroin? Okay, so cocaine, it affects this part of the brain. But sex actually floods your entire brain, the whole thing. And um, dopamine has an addictive quality, which is why people keep running. Um, and why people would want to keep doing whatever it is they're doing. But it also, dopamine does not extinguish or dis distinguish between good and bad. So if you have a thrill or an exhilaration that's not necessarily a good thing, you s the dopamine is still released. So, you know, people who, um, so it can be bad things. You know, it can be bad things for you. That, that chemical is still released. It's not only released in, you know, when, when you're doing good things. So, um, so that's the first thing. And it's a highly addictive um, release, that chemical release. People want it again and again and again. Well, oxytocin is released in both men and women, um, lesser extent of men, but more in women. And it is a chemical that um, actually mothers also release when they're nursing their babies. And it's a bonding it's a, it's a chemical that releases, and it causes a bond to happen between you and the baby. But it also, when you have sex, causes a bond to happen with you and your mate. In men, vasopressin, vasopressin aids in bonding men to their children as well, but it also is released when they have sex with their mate. So this bonding happens. And the bonding that takes place is as powerful as the dopamine. And that is something, if you watch a couple that have, um, you know, been married for years and years and years, and they continually have sex and they have a good relationship, it, you see that bond get closer and closer and closer as they mature and they grow and they get older because it's, they're feeding that bond. They're feeding their brain, this is who I'm with, this is who I'm with, and that bond takes place. But for people in the world, 
or in the church, wherever, that are having either casual sex or having, you know, having sex with somebody. And it could be a long-term relationship. And then you break up. You break that bond. And then you go to the next relationship, and you have sex, and then you break up. You break that bond. And then you go to the next one, and it actually causes your brain confusion and pain. It makes your brain go, whoa, what's going to, and it, and it damages the ability to have lasting relationships. Now, this is what psychologists are finding. Not, and this is not what, so basically psychologists are finding out what God said is real. <laughs> like, do it his way. So um, the other thing that they found was, and there was a bunch of research that, that they were doing on um, men and women, and women tend to have a harder time with these breakups, but they were finding that a lot of times men who would have the breakups, what happened is there was an emotional corrosion that happened that removed the human aspect from that. And it can be in women too. It's not just men. But it becomes just a raw animal behavior. And that's, you know, like you think about somebody who's just having one night stands, one night stands, one night stands. They've so been emotionally corroded that that's, they're just feeding the, you know, uh, an instinctual desire instead of allowing their brain to connect with somebody. So sex outside of marriage brings a lot of things. It brings a loss of innocence. It brings emotional hurt. And this is what the psychologist um, research was saying. That brings a loss of innocence, emotional hurt. You know, we often hear about disease and pregnancy. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it because of the disease and pregnancy. And sometimes I wonder if, you know, the emotional hurt isn't much more far-reaching and more damaging. Um, and then people tend to perform rather than make love. Um, and the most often associated feeling with sex outside of marriage is guilt. In one survey they did, um, they asked all these people, um, asked them if they wished they had waited till they got married, and the majority of them regretted their decision and wished they had waited. Like it is something that they wish they hadn't done. And really there's only one first time. You know, there's only one. Um, that also brings a loss of self-respect and self-esteem, which can lead to further casual sex. And that becomes a vicious cycle. And um, as I was doing this, you know, preparing for this and doing this, um, I understand this well. Uh, I was not pure when I met my husband. Um, and we lived together before we got married. And the, um, the experiences I had with men before that vicious cycle, it just kept, like, I was hurt from the break. And I, I just wanted somebody to love me, so I met somebody else. And I just wanted them to love me, and so we had sex because that's what you do if you love somebody. And then we'd break up, and then there's another one, and then another one and then it's this emotional cycle of I just want to feed this thing that I want to be loved and it 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 just makes you more pain which then causes you know so if you, you just keep in the cycle it's like the hamster in the wheel you just keep trying to f fix this thing and you can't fix it depression and suicide are higher with those who engage 
in um, sexual relationships before marriage. There is a fear of commitment. Um, when I met my first husband, um, his name is John, he um, had had terrible breakups. And so when we got together, he was like, oh, no, I'm not getting married because it's bad out there. You know, women are <laughs> mean or, or whatever. And so there was a real fear of commitment. Um, and there's negative effects later when you get married. There's things like comparison or flashbacks. And um, I have experienced those, thinking about, you know, the Satan is real good at bringing up, like, your past and saying, hey, but you did this, or what about that? Um, infidelity is higher amongst those who've had sex before they were married because if you don't practice saying no before you're married, it's difficult to say no after you're married. You don't learn that skill, and so you take it to your marriage with you. And there's a greater chance of divorce because you're so used to breaking up. Just break up. But there's grace. Thank God there's grace. You can turn the slide. In Isaiah 1:18, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And in Psalm, can you change it? Psalm 51, 7, it says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Um, when I was preparing to um, marry my husband, Ray, um, actually, we weren't, I don't even think we were engaged yet. I had, um, Cameron had told me I needed to read a book called I Promise You if I was considering getting married. And I read the book, and it talked about the fact that you have to, not, you should be very honest about your background before you marry and let your spouse, you know, your future spouse know all about your past. And I didn't want to do that because my past was, is pretty ugly. And, um, and just letting him know that, you know, all these things that had happened to me. And, and one, at one point I was praying with someone and I just was like, you know, I, I just don't know. Like, I, I just, I just, I'm so dirty. That's all I could think of was I was so dirty. And, um, and so I just, and I was a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time. I've asked for forgiveness a lot. <laughs> Repented of the same sin over and over again. And uh, I, I just, I still felt like this, ugh. And um, so I was praying, and the person that was praying with me said, you know, let's just ask God how he sees you. And so, um, and I've told this story before. Maybe you've heard it before. But so I just prayed, and I was like, God, you know, how do you see me? And he saw me with a white wedding dress. And to me, that means purity. And I was like, but, and God said, no buts. Jesus' blood was enough. It was enough to clean you. It was enough to make you white. I wore a white wedding dress in my wedding. <laughs> um, he, his blood is enough to wash away all of that. But how do you fix this thing in your head? Well, Hebrews 9, 14 says, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's what he does. He washes it away. I am not the same person I once was. I am a new creation. I am new in Christ. I am not that old person. And, um, and that's good news. That's good news. <laughs> and you are too. And so what, what um, so sex is good. It's good inside of marriage. And if it's, if it's done outside of marriage, God wants to cleanse you from that. And he wants to purify you. And he wants to make you whole so that you can walk into a marriage and be clean and, and, and have all of the benefits that he wants for you. But as I was preparing, I really felt like an even bigger, more powerful thing to talk about today would be um, the woman caught in adultery. Could you change the slide? So um, I, don't, I don't know how many of you know the story, but um, the, the Pharisees are always trying to make Jesus look bad. And so, you know, they are always doing stuff, bringing him, you know, tough questions to solve and, you know, trying to, trying to trip him up to make him look bad. And so the Pharisees find a woman who they catch in adultery, is what it says. And so I have no idea if they were, like, caught her in the act or if they just know that, you know, whatever. And they drag her to Jesus and say, look at this woman. What should we do with her? And he bends over and writes in the dirt. And no one knows what he wrote, because that's not recorded, maybe because nobody really wanted to admit <laughs> what, what he had said. But he's writing things in the dirt. And I heard someone say one time that he, they felt like he was writing all the sins down, like pride or judgment or stealing or lying or dishonoring your parents or whatever it is. He was writing those things. One by one, the Pharisees have left. And suddenly, Jesus stands up, and it's just him and the woman. And he says to her, you know, where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He offers her grace and forgiveness. And... um, um, So... What I, uh, and I just, I just learned this in between services, and I think it's really good, and I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, we can be one, we can be any one of those three people in that picture. We can be the adulteress, which I have been, and I've been standing at Jesus' feet, accused, maybe even by myself, and ask, you know, for forgiveness. But you and I can also be the Pharisees. We can be accusing other people of things. Or we could be Jesus, loving people. And um, I really think we need to be very careful how we treat people who are not living a lifestyle that's right with God. We need to be really careful of how we approach them. Because in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Not after we got cleaned up. Not after we quit sinning. But while we were still sinners, he died so that we could be made whole. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You know, God allows the Holy Spirit to convict us, and that's what brings us to repentance. Satan loves to condemn us, to keep us from going to God. And really, I want to be where God is. I don't want to be where Satan is. And, and the biggest, the picture that I really wanted to share with you guys is that um, many of you know um, Carrie Jackson. She's one of our, she's our worship leader. And her mom, Shirley Jackson, um, knew my um, ex-husband and was friends with us when we were living together. And I met her. I was all of 19 years old, I think, or maybe 18. And at that point, when we started living together, a lot of wonderful Christian people told me how wrong I was, what I was doing wrong, how I um, was not living in God's will, and I was hell. Um, They said a lot of well-meaning things to try to bring me to a place of right standing. Shirley Jackson never did. Now, I knew she was a Christian. She loved the Lord. But she just loved me. She just would talk to me and let me pour out my heart. Now, at first, I didn't. I didn't trust her because she was a Christian. I didn't trust those people. They're judgmental and mean, and they make you feel bad. Now, I'm sure that God was convicting me because I did know the truth, but I couldn't see his conviction because I had so much condemnation. Now, it's not, I'm not blaming anybody else. I, I, I needed to do the right thing. But when I finally got to a place where I didn't know where to turn and I needed a Christian, I went to Shirley because I knew she loved me and she would tell me what I needed to hear. And, and because she had built a relationship of love towards me, she had never... Um, made me feel that I was willing to hear the truth from her. And, and, and I want us to do that same thing. I want the church to be able to go out to the world and not be Pharisees, that we would be Jesus. That doesn't mean we shy away from the truth. But are we beating people up with the gospel when they didn't even ask to know what it is? Or are we offering them love and a chance for freedom? Are we saying, wow, you're depressed and your life is hard, and, but I know this guy who can make it better. Is that what we're offering them? And, you know, I'm not standing up here saying all of you are Pharisees. I've been a Pharisee. I did it with my own kids. I have three adult kids who are all living with people. And I was full of, you were raised better. You know better. Don't do that. You know, it doesn't give you any blessing. God doesn't, doesn't honor that. 
And what I got was three kids who didn't want to be around their mom because I wasn't nice to them. I don't know if you know what a Gibbs slap is, but NCIS, um, the guy on there, he's got a team of people, and he comes up behind his, the one guy's head, and he whacks him upside the head when he does something stupid. And one night I was praying. I was like, my kids, and, and I got a Gibbs slap. God's like, really? Why don't you just love them? I was like, What? okay. And I stopped. I stopped judging. Stopped being a Pharisee. Started texting. I love you. I'm proud of you. I like who you've become. I want to know you. My kids thought I was weird for a long time because I was changing. And it worked. (laughs) My, uh, My middle son, Kenny, is 26 years old. For 16 years, our relationship has not been great. No. I'm sorry. 26, no, 16. For 10 years, since he was 16, it's not been great. Two years ago, him and his girlfriend moved out to California. And right before that was when God had me start loving on him. And so I was loving on him. And, um, and our relationship was changing, and then they went to California. And last year, I got a chance to go out there and visit with them and really pour into them and pour my love onto them. And uh, this year, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and he's going to church. He's part of a life group. He's volunteering. And more than that, he said to me the other day, Mom, I'm learning so much. He said, I know now that God's love, or that, that my love for you and my love for Kendall is like hate compared to how much God loves me. <laughs> yeah, God get him, you know? Two years ago, I started putting on those prayer cards. Those prayer cards, if you didn't fill them out, you better fill them out. Because I'm telling you, every week for two years, I've been filling it out. Pray for Kenny. Pray for Kendall. Pray for my kids. I started filling that out. And those cards, I'm telling you what, God got him. God got him. And it's good. So today, I want to I leave you with this. I want to leave you with two things. So would you stand with me? <laughs> First, if you have a past or present sin that you need to be forgiven of, God is willing. He's waiting. He's wanting to wash you clean. He wants to do that today. And the second thing is, who do you want to be? Do you want to be Jesus or do you want to be the Pharisee? So I'm going to have you close your eyes and I'm going to pray for both those things. So, Father, I just thank you. If there's anyone here right now that needs their conscience washed clean or needs to repent of any sin in a sexual nature, Father, we just come before you right now, and we're so grateful that you sent your son to die so that we might be washed clean. 
was too high a price to pay, but we are grateful, Father, that you loved us that much while we were yet sinners. I just thank you, Lord. And for every person here who needs forgiveness, Father, I just thank you that you are willing and wanting to extend that right now. And Father, we also I just also want to pray for each one of us that have been a Pharisee, that have spent time beating people up with the gospel. Maybe we've forgotten how to love people into the kingdom. I just ask right now that you would just show us how it is to reach those around us, that we could introduce them to you and allow you to convict them, allow you to change them. Help us to know the difference today, Lord. And just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.